0: Planted, put, dug, built, leased, went. I'm no grammatical expert, but I know those are all verbs. Action words. Planted, put, dug, built, leased, went. And Jesus begins the parable with basically one sentence using six verbs in a row. My high school English teacher would say that's a run-on sentence. But of course, Jesus doesn't commit grammatical errors, does he? I do, but not him. Six verbs to begin this parable. Action words. Speaking of parts of speech. A couple days ago, I visited our first grade classroom over at St. Mary's Grade School, and I walked in and they were learning about nouns a person, place, or thing. And they were doing adverbs. And I was so impressed with our first graders because I don't think I learned what a part of speech is a noun, a verb, or an adverb until I was in middle school. And Father Wolf, He still don't know. (laughs) Sorry, I heard he got me two weeks ago, maybe. I'm getting him back. Everyone, the parable that we just heard we're familiar with, but the church has always offered this parable from Jesus about the tenants and the landowner as a clear description of the story of salvation history. Now, it's not easy to catch, but when I say the story of salvation history, what do I mean? I mean the basic story of God doing what? Saving us, the work of Jesus, the work of redemption, the work of salvation. In this parable, Jesus very intentionally walks through the story of salvation history. You could look at this parable and you'd find four acts. That's a hard word to say. Act one, two, three, and four. Four acts. And so to make this worthwhile tonight, I want you to take out your music sheet that has the readings on it, and we're going to look at all four acts. You'll never walk by the music sheet again, will you? You can sing, I can't. So here we go. And by the way, this is going to be fun. So let's give it a shot. Let's see if we can see the four stages of salvation history from this parable. Jesus said to the chief priests and elders of the people, first notice this, everyone. Who is this parable directed to? Well, the chief priests and elders. Who are they? the religious leaders of Jesus' time. This is for them. Remember, they know the Bible. They know the Old Testament. They know the story of Israel. They know the story of Moses. Jesus is addressing this to them. But by the end of it, we'll find out, it's also directed to someone else. I'll give you a hint. Us. So here we go. Here another parable this is act 1 There was a landowner who planted a vineyard put a hedge around it dug a wine press in it and built a tower then he leased it to the tenants and went on a journey Act 1 just ended What is this It's a story of creation God actively willing the world to exist And not just the world in terms of the creation and the universe and galaxies and trees and rocks, but all creation, including us, his people. Act one, God creates. Act two, then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey when vintage time drew near. He sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce, but the tenants seized the servants, and one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them in the same way. What's Acts 2? It's the prophets. People like Moses and Elijah Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Amos and Hezekiah and Micah. What were the prophets doing? Calling the people of Israel back to God and being faithful. How were they treated? Well, they were stoned, mocked, rejected, ridiculed. Act two, the prophets. I told you this be fun. Act 3. Finally he sent his son to them thinking they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son they said to one another this is the heir come let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Acts 3 should be pretty clear. Who is it? Jesus. They had rejected the prophet, so God said, enough. I will come to you. And he leaps into human history, takes on human flesh, teaches, suffers, dies, dies. And raises act three is a story of jesus act four what will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes everyone act four has no ending do you know why it's still happening Act 4 is us responding to Act 1, 2, and 3, God's creation, the prophets, and Jesus. Acts 4 is yet to be determined. And our job, of course, is to respond. Okay. Now that we have that straight, let me make a couple points. Who's the owner of the vineyard? God. Who are the tenants? Us. What is a tenant? Somebody who rents something from an owner. Somebody who leases something. That should be a clear indicator to you and to me that everything we have is given to us by the landowner and entrusted to us and it's on loan. Everything we have, everyone, is a gift from God. Our life, our family, our faith, this parish, our country, your gifts, your talents, your skills, your virtues, everything you have is on loan to you and to me. And our entire life then becomes what? A response in thanksgiving for the wonderful loan we've been given. Point number two. Of course this parable is kind of dramatic because the heir is thrown out of the vineyard and not just thrown out but killed in a violent way. What's ironic about them killing the son, the heir? Why did they kill him? Because they said, he's the one who receives the inheritance, let's get him. And why is that ironic? Because what does the son actually allow every single one to receive? The actual inheritance. And they go after him because he's the one who receives the inheritance. But Jesus is the one, right? That makes the inheritance possible. Namely, heaven. Now I know nobody here would ever actually want or intend to do violence to Jesus. Right? We would find that totally absurd. We wouldn't do violence to Jesus, would we? However, What this parable is trying to instill in us is saying no to Jesus is much more subtle than doing physical violence to him. What I mean by that is this. Saying no to Jesus is kind of like slowly making him more and more irrelevant in our lives. Making the faith less and less relevant. Does that sound maybe a little familiar? This doesn't really matter. This faith stuff, God stuff, Jesus stuff, church stuff. (laughs) And we slowly, slowly, slowly say no, no, no. And it becomes less and less relevant. Everyone, God is good. God is pure goodness and pure love. And I know on weeks and months and years like this, we all step back and say, Okay, God, where are you? I'm waiting. Wrong attitude. God has worked abundantly to make his vineyard luscious, and fertile. God has labored and planted and done all these verbs to create this world. And yet how have his people responded? That's the question that needs to be asked. How are we responding to what God has done? How do we respond to his goodness in his activity. May Jesus not just be some ir- irrelevant, one hour a week reality in our life, but may he be the center. May the heir to the throne be the center of our lives. And what happens when we do that? He shares the inheritance with us.